questions, but um, what we're looking at is uh, Joshua Swamidas's The Genealogical Adam and Eve. And again, it, it's looking at, uh, it, it's basically a thought experiment that considers that evolution might be real or true, and the biblical account might also be real and or true. And so the idea is that God really did create two persons about 6,000 years ago or so, and uh, there were also people outside of the garden uh, that were products of evolution that it sort of explains from his point of view the scientific data. Now, obviously, there are people who question the scientific data, but, but he's not one of them. Uh, so it explains the scientific data of, of evolution or the theory of evolution, but it also explains the scriptural data and, and other things as well. So, so the question is, with a thought experiment, what you want to do is you want to try to disprove it. And so we're kind of at that point now where he has two chapters. I'm in chapter eight, um, Daniel and Lisa. I kind of skipped ahead a little bit, but I thought this was kind of the relevant point, was to skip ahead to chapter eight. And so basically, there are two chapters on what is a human being. So uh, one is humans and science, and the second is humans and theology. And so that's a question that you kind of have to answer, at least try to answer. Um, because when you start talking about things like, well, Adam and Eve bred with people outside the garden, then you get into questions of like, well, did Adam and Eve possess something like full humanity that they passed on to their, you know, their children received it through interbreeding? Or were people outside the garden already fully human, but maybe they had not fallen into sin. You know, what, what is it that makes someone a human being? And wherever you come down on the, the evolution question, et cetera, I think it, it is an interesting, uh, it is an interesting uh, question and study to have. So I just want to read some of the highlights of this first book, which is Humans in Science. And I'm going to probably disappoint you guys that there's not consensus anywhere on any of these questions. Um, no one agrees theologically, and no one, I mean, not say no one, but there are camps in each, in each situation, theologically and scientifically, of when, you know, what a, a human actually is. So, um, so Daniel and Lisa, y'all just uh, jump in any time you need to, but let me just read a, a few of the highlights here. Um, so chapter eight, entirely consistent with the genetic evidence, Adam and Eve, ancestors of us all, could have been de novo, that means out of nothing, created in the Middle East. As long as their offspring eventually interbred with people outside the garden, it is possible as recently as 6,000 years ago. Perhaps they lived in the more distant past. Perhaps they were not de novo created. Perhaps they did not exist. The scientific evidence doesn't tell us one way or another. Is it possible that Adam and Eve were the sole progenitors of humanity? Here I define this term consistent with the doctrine of monogenesis as articulated in church traditions that will be explained in the coming chapters. One explanation of this doctrine teaches precisely that every human throughout history is a direct genealogical descendant of Adam and Eve. As progen 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 progenitors, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve would be the first and only humans on the globe for a time, and people who do not descend from Adam and Eve could have lived alongside or before them, but they would not be humans. Okay, so let's kind of stop there. Um, so the doctrine of, of, um, of uh, monogenesis is that Adam and Eve 
we're the only two persons, only two human beings on earth at a time, and that every human being alive today came from only Adam and Eve. So there, there would have been no one outside of the garden for them to, for them to interbreed with. So that's the doctrine of monogenesis. That would be something that he would, would reject. Um, but one of the things that is true is that it could be the case that every human being is still a descendant of Adam and Eve, even if there were people outside of the garden. Right? So they don't have to be the only two people for everyone living together to be their descendants. Does that make sense? And, so, and, and that's kind of what scientifically we can, we, you know, we can argue, we can prove that everyone alive today, that given, given the math, that there is, has been enough time for everyone on earth to be a direct descendant of Adam and Eve. A, a, a direct descendant is a weird way to say that. A, a genealogical ancestor, you know. Um, so the question really comes down to what is a human being? Um, and I'm, I'm going to jump to the bottom of page 98. And oh, um, in, in the deep past, the situation is more uncertain. That is to say, you know, he gives examples of like science fiction and fantasy where people try to define human being. For, for example, everyone's seen the movie Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, we can argue about the director's cut, you know, whether Deckert was a, was a replicant or not. And um, the theatrical version, the director's cut have different opinions on that. And Ridley Scott and Harrison Ford, in fact, disagree about, about that. Uh, but the question is, what is it that makes someone a human? If someone's virtually a, like a human in every way, they look like them, they can learn to, uh, I mean, at some point, AI will virtually in every way resemble human beings, right? So what, what and, and if you attended the, uh, uh, I don't think any of you did, except maybe, is the coffee okay? Okay, okay. Um, maybe Cameron and Hannah attended the transhumanism theology on tap event. I don't remember. And then we had, the, okay. Yeah, we had the speaker on our radio show um, back when we still were doing the radio show. Anyway, transhumanism, the subject more or less of the entire Black Mirror anthology on Netflix, if you've seen that. The question is, like, when, when do you, uh, in the future, when do, you, when do you stop becoming a human being? Or, or, or when does something like artificial intelligence, when is it able to so closely resemble a human being that you really, really can't tell the difference? And without going into all that, um, transhumanism is the idea that humans are still evolving and that our future is that we will not be a human anymore, but we'll be a transhuman. So we'll, we'll morph into something else where, for example, in the really, really long term, you, you will be able to upload your, your essence, your nature onto a cloud, you know, and you'll be able to live forever in I don't know, in the computer matrix, basically, because your essence, your soul, which is the accumulation of your thoughts and experiences and memories and so forth, when they can get that off your brain, put it onto a chip, they can put that into a server and you can go live with everyone else on that server in a, in a, in a, in a fake world. And so in essence, you have eternal life. I mean, I kind of joke as well, as long as somebody's maintaining the server, you know, um, you know, they have to be at like 40 degrees and, uh, Amazon has a, sh a similar show, Upload, but I heard, I, I, I never watched it, but yeah. Mm. Altered Carbon was, a, was similar. First season was okay, the second season I did not like. I'm just going to put that out there. 
Yeah. Yes, yes, for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm waiting for the Trekkies to come in at any point and be like, oh, Star Trek was so ahead of this. There's the episode in season two from 1968, and it, it gets this better than anybody, which, which I'm not mocking. I'm not mocking. I mean, seriously. Um, anyway, the, the, the idea is that uh, how you define a human being and when one becomes a human being is, is still up for debate. And because we're, we're at a point technologically now where we're not just waiting on people to evolve, we're, we're forcing that process. Um, and that actually is very scary to me. Um, I actually think the church needs to start speaking against um, a number of ways that we're, we're changing our genes uh, by, uh, for example, in Europe, virtually no babies diagnosed with Down syndrome in the womb are born in several countries. They're not allowed to be born. Uh, that's that's a, a form of, you know, genetic selection. Uh, but certainly, uh, uh, should we talk about the vaccine? Uh, you know, uh, one of the things about the this particular COVID nineteen vaccine, one of the reasons people are are wary of it, and and if someone knows the science better, well, everyone probably here knows the science better than me. But essentially, it it has an RNA. It 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 it, it tells it tricks your body into thinking you had the coronavirus to create the vaccine. Um, which is something that I think no. is done regularly. Oh, okay. It, your, your body just, just translates that mRNA into a protein that then your, your body recognizes and produces antibodies against. So what do you, do you, do you, what do you think? Can I, if y'all don't mind my asking, uh, what, what do y'all think? What, what do you think about the vaccine, Lisa? Cause I, I hear all kinds of different things. On the one hand, of course, people say, it's the safest thing ever. We've modeled it out into the future, but, but, uh, and this is going to affect the church before too long. So, uh, anyway, I don't want to put you on the spot, Lisa. But other people no, say, I'm happy to. I'll, I'll never I... take the vaccine because it's untried and untreated, and it could have potential ramifications. You know, I, it's, I mean, it's not untried. I got mine actually. I got the first dose on New Year's Eve, um, but you know, they've tested it and they've they've gone through all three phase trials and. Uh, like so far, thirty you know thirty three thousand humans were in the phase phase three, like adults. But um, yeah, they're you know, and I'm they're I'm reporting every day. They send me a text to check in and um, you know report like any side effects. So my arm was sore like when I get the flu shot, but there haven't been any any issues. It's it's RNA. So like the the foundation for the vaccine has been around. Like they've been laying the groundwork for decades you know, researchers working on it. So it's, it's very safe. Yeah. Okay. So, so some of the claims that this is going to bring about the zombie apocalypse, you would say might be unfounded. Yes. It's, it's using technology. We, we understand already, you know, um, gotcha. and it's, it's a very clean vaccine, not that other vaccines aren't clean. Um, but um, the two, the Pfizer and Moderna are RNA, you know, RNA vaccines. Yeah. Um, so they're not, I mean, it's not, they're not even like, you know, weakened versions of the virus. It's just um, a piece of RNA that um, comes from the spike protein or, you know, encodes a spike protein. So okay. then our bodies recognize that spike protein. And because spike proteins are very conserved across coronaviruses, it's like the low hanging, like easy prey. Um, to form like a neutralizing antibody against. So, yeah. um, I'm, you know, even these variants that they're talking about in the UK, there's really not any concern that it's not going to be effective against those. 
Gotcha. Okay. So, I mean, I got mine. So, you know, I just, I want to put that out there that I trust it. And, um, you know, all the health, like healthcare workers on the front lines, they're, they're trusting it. They're getting it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't put them in danger if there were issues. You yeah. know, I think there was a lot of, there were a lot of questions. I, the UK, the AstraZeneca vaccine, they're, they actually paused the trial because two people came down with a transverse myelitis and said so they stopped to, to investigate. And what they found was that those people were already um, on the path to developing like multiple sclerosis. And so it was actually like, these were the people that they're, they're, they want to protect against coronavirus, right? Because they're at higher mm-hmm. risk. And so they were able to, you know, basically say that these events didn't happen above background levels in the population. And so it wasn't any issue with the vaccine and they were able to restart the vaccine. And now people in the UK are getting um, vaccinated. So just because it's not approved, like it's got the emergency use approval. So the Fed, the FDA, you know, they looked at all the data from the trials and um, it wasn't, a, you know, I think there was like, oh, there was a consensus, like four, four people voted not to give it emergency use approval or, you know, 18 people did. Um, it wasn't because it wasn't a question about whether or not it's safe. It was about, you know, who should get it? Should we give it to 16 year olds? Should only 17 and above get it? So that was where some of the, the consensus, you know, where people um, didn't quite agree on. So now they're doing the, you know, they're doing trials in younger children, like 12 to 17 year olds to see if it's safe in them. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, this is like one way that I'm able to protect Vincent. You know, I'm not going to bring it home to him because he can't get yeah. the vaccine. So I'll, you know, I vouch for it. And if there were any issues, I would, of course, you know, they have mechanisms to, for people to, to bring those um, to people's awareness. And so, yeah, yeah, all vouch for it. Good. Well, Sorry, yeah, um, thanks, thanks for letting me talk about that. No, no, yeah, absolutely. And in fact, we, we probably need to talk about it more. My, my, my hope I'd is that to. it will be a, uh, a voluntary vaccine. I get a little nervous when, but no, I, it will. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. They, all the paperwork, it's like, you are not required to get this vaccine. You, you know, there's, there's no coercion at all. Gotcha. I only have one mic, so. I saw that today. Yeah, show your papers. <laughs> my my thought on it is that uh, uh, that. Uh, and again, this this may not be accurate, but from from every, what I've seen, that children are at very low risk of, of really being affected by COVID, and I and, and there's enough of an unknown about the vaccine just because it it was a quick job, you know, so to speak. That that I would rather my children not be vaccinated because uh, I think COVID would be 
better for them than a vaccine. I mean, even if the probability of the vaccine being, you know, and right now, like she said, it's, I think it's 16 and older right now. So they're, they're far younger than that, but uh, yeah. But I'd, I'd rather there be like that three to five year, you know, like window, you know, uh, because, you know, my kids are young and if there are side effects that don't, for whatever reason, show up years from now, um, I'd, I'd, I'd like to know that because, because I don't think at this point they're, they're in any real danger from COVID-19. So, um, but yeah, I, I, I did see something today in New York and, uh, and just this morning, it was a, a tweet that, that, uh, somebody had shared and, uh, Basically, it's already a law basically saying, well, we have the right to refute to, to, to remove a person uh, who's sick from any situation, more or less. It was in flowery legal language, but it was it was disturbing. Uh, that That's what what troubles me is the idea that uh, this is kind of an excuse to do what people want to do uh, against people they don't like, you know. Uh, and so I think I think that's but the science may be that the vaccine is my, my only point in bringing it up. Um, was that, you know, the, the question of what is a human being is still not settled because to a degree, it's, it, let, let's say that that New York bill passes. Let's say it passes at the federal level. Let, let's say it's as bad as we're, you know, we're, you know, on our darkest day, we think it could be, where there will be two categories of people. There will be those who, you know, have it and those who don't. That is the vaccine. And those who don't will essentially be treated as like subhuman in a certain manner of speaking. They won't have certain rights. They won't have, they won't be able to travel. They won't be able to leave their house or something, you know, to that effect. They might even be seen to be committing some kind of crime uh, because they're a danger to other people. And we think that's far out, but I'm like, oh, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know that it is. Uh, so anyway, but Cameron wanted to say something and maybe Lisa wanted to chime back in. But. Mm -hmm. um, I do think if you're looking for a, an excuse to do something you'd already want to do, I don't think you need to wrap it up in that season. You've done a pretty good job of that throughout our history. Yeah. Tying it to a vaccine. Yeah. Well, it just accelerate. I think it could accelerate it, you know, but. Um, I just put that out there. That, yeah. We're certainly capable of that. We can disavow it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, oh, no, that's true. But I think it's all, but it is a question. I mean, if you look at if you look at essentially man's inhumanity to man, or you know, man's evils against other other people, et cetera, you know, it's always a question of um, well, those people aren't worthy of the protection that other people are, you know. And the reason for that throughout history has been, you know, well, they're the wrong ethnicity, or well, they're Jewish, or well, they're they're stupid, you know, Slavs, uh, uh, you know, the nose is wider, the um, yeah. Uh, and even that, even the even the Rwandan genocide was was really political in many respects. Um, anyway, there's a whole other story there. But um, th so, you know, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be tinfoil hat guy, but I do want to, you know, I do I do want to have my eyes open to what what is possible. 
Um, so, and the, and the point is that really how we define human right now, like as we, as we talk, is something that's a, a very fluid conversation. We, we like to think that we agree, but we don't. Uh, people all over the world have really different views. Now, in the context of this book, the, the, what he says that, uh, I'll read from like the bottom of page 98, in the deep past, the situation is more uncertain. Which of our ancient ancestors share the human condition too? Were they human persons? Probably, yes, but we're not sure exactly when or how the human mind arose. We do not know for sure how smooth the transition it was, of a transition it was rather, and if there were any large jumps or not. There's debate over the extent to which Neanderthals, Denisovans, and Homo erectus shared the human condition. And so he talks about how the scientific definition is, of human is actually arbitrary uh, with limited evidence. Um, so the question is, is it a human well, let me read this from Darwin. I'm now on the bottom of page 99. This is from Darwin. Whether primeval man, when he possessed very few arts of the rudest kind, and when his power of language was extremely imperfect, would have deserved to be called man, must depend on the definition which we employ. In a series of forms graduating insensibly from some ape-like creature to man as he now exists, it would be impossible to fix on any definite point when the term man ought to be used. So, when does man become man? No one can answer that question. Does he have to be able to use a tool or she? You know, would she have to be able to make an art drawing? Is it the use of some kind of reason or the invention of a new um, machine? Um, and this obviously extended all the way into slavery when we're far beyond all of that. And you still have a, 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 a condition of subhuman among people from Africa, essentially. Um, and that's what people said. I'm not saying that was the case, obviously. But um, here's one more quote on the, the following page. Uh, as Ian Tattershall, a paleoanthropologist, explains, there's a problem with defining human as the homo genus. Scientists are still arguing vehemently over which ancient fossil human relatives should be included in the genus Homo. Are they doing so in the absence? Uh, I'm sorry. And they are doing so in the absence of any coherent idea of what the genus that includes our species, Homo sapiens, might reasonably be presumed to contain. And so scientists don't have a consensus on what they think of as a human. They don't say, oh, 100,000 years, that was the year. And again, we have that same problem right now. Uh, if you look at the, the debate over abortion, that, that is the exact issue. And the debate over slavery, it's the exact issue. The debate is when does it become a human being? What determines a human being? And, uh, and I, I know I've said many times, I'll argue with people, college students, back when we had college, when people showed up and went to a classroom together and such. And it's very, very common for someone in their you know, 19 or 20 years old to say, well, it's a human being when it's born. And the umbilical cord is cut and it takes its first breath. That's very common for people to believe. And I'm going, well, what really is the difference between, uh, you know, that, that same person one day before or not? And uh, anyway, yeah. I, but you see the arbitrariness at which this is still in effect. We still don't agree on what a human is. So, uh, yeah.
Right. If what? Oh. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If it if it were if it were raw biology, I think raw biology there there's life and non-life and it's it's a binary and you know but yeah that's true when we start when we start getting philosophically wise about it that's when the problems begin you know but um chris and then i want to make sure that lisa and with zoom you know it's hard to sort of jump in so i just want to make sure that if there's anything they want to say at all i want to make sure they can but yeah Daniel and Lisa, have I left something out or misspoken? No, I mean, the only thing I can I can think to add is just, I'm not, you know, I don't know the like anthropological field very well, but uh, an analogy for microbiology is, you know, before sequencing came along, we had methods for taxonomy, for classification um, that had been, you know, spelled out long ago. Uh, and then you know, just based on the properties we could observe. And then when sequences came along, like, you know, if you've heard of Shigella, uh, when we've sequenced Shigella and E. coli, we realized that these are the same bacteria. We thought they were different, but they're actually not. They should be both, you know, called E. coli. Um, and so I think in, in like around one of those pages, uh, maybe a hundred, sorry, Vincent's in the background. Yeah, it's good. Uh, he, he says, you know, languages can't, some languages like, you can't preserve a language necessarily like you know if it gets lost like there's like a bone is you know fossilized and preserved but um we only know about these like you know e coli and shigella because we have we still have those bacteria around and we could sequence them but he's talking about like the type of you know things you need to look at are so old you, you can only work with what's preserved you know these bones and so um it's yeah. it's just a hard question to to tackle and so scientists are always kind of are and i've argued with this uh, um you know same the same the same thing on a paper with an editor about like they wanted me to call it one thing and i said no i'm not gonna call it that uh, you know and so scientists are because because we want it he says on page 102 where he has like a subtitle confident answers require precise definitions you know scientists want to be precise and use precise language precise language and you know sometimes we don't have 
all the, the data we need to be as precise as we want to be. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give an interesting uh, summary on, is on page 103. And you know that when we talk about a human being and we talk about Homo sapien, and I, I believe Homo sapien is in the larger genus of Homo. Um, and so he gives a kind of summary of when we observe uh, these sorts of things taking place or changing. So he, he writes this, six to 12,000 years ago, when permanent settlements associated with agriculture arise across the globe. That's interesting. That's, that's what we, when we talk about civilization, Adam and Eve, time frame, we're looking at six to 12,000 years ago. About 50,000 to 100,000 years ago, with the rise of behaviorally modern humans, a chronological subset of Homo sapiens as a whole, about 150,000 to 300,000 years ago, with the rise of anatomically modern humans, also known as Homo sapiens, 500,000 to 700,000 years ago, with the common ancestor of Neanderthals, Homo sapiens, Denisovans, and other hominins no longer among us, and about 2 million years ago, with the rise of the Homo genus, or genus, including many homonyms no longer found among us. So in other words, you start at 2 million years ago, you kind of trace it to more and more, you know, like, like us, you know, physiologically like us, behaviorally like us, but it's only within six to 12,000 years ago that even if, even if everything else is true that we observe sociologically, um, you know, the, the fact of permanent settlements, for example, you know, the building of cities eventually, um, and, 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 and really those radical changes in sociology. And so that, that could be a pretty strong argument you know, that something changed relatively recently, really very recently. Um, and it could be that one caveman somewhere like existed, like made one technology that revolutionized, you know, the wheel or, but then again, you know, the, um, the, the Incas didn't have the wheel. Maybe it was the Mayans. Like, like Mont, what is it? P Pichu? Neither of them had the wheel. What's the thing you go see, the pyramids? Machu Picchu. They built all that apparently without the wheel. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. But those poor mules. Well, you have been watching too much History Channel, okay? Well, we're not going to get to the theological question today, but maybe that's a good thing. Um, let me let me read kind of a, a, a summary that looks forward to the next chapter says, the theological conversation requires precision. There's a great deal of information that science uncovers about our past, but it does not tell us how theologians should define human. This is a question that science cannot answer or adjudicate. Theologians have autonomy to define the term human on its own terms. The definition in theology need not correspond with a scientific definition, such as homo sapiens or the homo genus. That kind of gets to your question about what would Charles Darwin say. Um, now, I don't know that he really ever needed to address that issue per se, uh, because, of course, abortion wasn't a, you know, I mean, it was around, but it wouldn't have been a legal, you know, a political argument. Um, but, and, and they didn't have access to the womb like we do. And so I think that m might, to a degree, have been a game changer. But the point is that whatever science says, that theologians are not incumbent upon that data to come up with an, an understanding of what a human is. And so eventually we're going to talk about, well, the image of God. 
And then there are different schools of thought about the image of God. For example, I'll just introduce it. Uh, there are two major approaches of defining human beings using the image of God. And one is called a structuralist and one is a vocationalist. Um, for example, I listened to a Lutheran theologian not long ago, and he was talking about, he's actually talking about Bonhoeffer and uh, Bonhoeffer's earliest uh, works that he wrote when he was like 20, which were his doctoral dissertations uh, on Genesis 1 to 3, basically. And, um, and he took a very uh, vocationalist approach to the image of God. What does God do? God is a worker. So, of course, the German comes up with this as part of the, <laughs> you know, the image of God. You know, you're a worker. Uh, but the idea being that, um, that what does God do? Well, God creates and God produces and God tends and God brings uh, order out of chaos. So what is it that a human being does? Well, God brings a human made in God's image brings order out of chaos, for example. They, they have families. They produce and multiply. They tend gardens. They, um, they, they, build, they build cities and, and English sports cars and so on and so forth. Um, and so the, these are examples of what makes a human in the image of God. But the other, a structuralist, uh, you know, would, would really look at the substance of a person, kind of their ontological nature, uh, that, that, that regardless of sort of what they do, uh, that there's something intrinsically sort of different about a human being from other parts of creation. And, and actually, I think probably both things can be true. They don't cancel each other out, but people tend to fall down on one camp when they say, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? People tend to be more one or the other. The danger of the vocationalist point of view would be, well, what about someone in a vegetative state uh, or someone with certain disabilities? Do they stop being a human? Uh, and uh, yeah, so anyway, that would be just a quick example off the top of my head. But any, any last word or last thoughts or questions or anything? I mean, I, I hope you see the, the importance of trying to understand what a human being is and, and why that is so important because in this particular debate what we're really trying to find out is is when did people get value really you know yeah so, so i guess predicting the, the ending of, of what you're well, I guess what, trying to figure out his trajectory is he saying that even through evolution that some spot between 12,000 I don't. I don't think if if if. I don't. I don't remember that. Maybe Daniel and I have to say your name slowly because Daniel ends with an L and Lisa begins with an L and they run together. But I, I, I Daniel and Lisa might chime in. But I don't remember him. What's saying, the question? Like when when does Swamidas kind of come down on a the answer to this is when people become a human, for example. Uh, this is when it happens. I don't remember him doing that. He kind of more lays out where where people fall in the line. I don't remember. Let me ask Daniel. So specifically, is it, is, does that and God breathe the breath of life into Adam? By any definition. You're unmuted. Yeah. Does he make it? My memory is that one of the possibilities is that those outside the garden are also in the image of God. Yeah. So that that's 
conceivably possible with this, that, that the image of God doesn't come through interbreeding. But the federal headship of Adam is what sort of comes through interbreeding, that Adam becomes a gene. It's important that Adam is a genealogical ancestor of all people because of Romans 5. Yeah. By one fall. Yeah. For, for example. Right. Like, for example, when we die and go to heaven, will there be people there before Adam and Eve? That might be a way of saying it, right? Like, like, are they worthy of salvation? Is that even on the table? Well, Did I'm they sin? Were they under judgment? I'm wondering if, this, this, like, at that point in time in which God created Adam, mm -hmm. also breathed the breath of life into all these other uh, hominids. And the truth is that we, we really can never know that, okay, right? Because, yeah. Yeah, I don't think he answers that. His, his goal is to, unless... Daniel wants to chime in, but his goal was, is to say, is there anything that disproves this thought experiment? And ultimately he, he, his argument is that no, if there, if there was, he wouldn't have written the book, but yeah, Steve had a question. And then I wouldn't say create sin, but maybe allow it for the for the glorifying of himself through his choosing his people, you know, through the, the whole everything that follows. Because a, a question an atheist brings up frequently, oh, we have to go. A question an atheist frequently brings up is, well, why did God create things just to watch it all fall apart? And ultimately, our answer, which you will hear in Ephesians today, listen, it is there. Because God brings glory to himself in these things. And see, it's not about us. You know, we, 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 we're very man-centered in our answer to everything. But actually, it, this is God's world. And God has the freedom in his world to do things as he sees fit. And so if that means the allowance of sin through the actions of Adam that leads to the cross for the glorification of God through the salvation of his people, I'm okay with that. Are you okay with that? You know, so um, we must go. Thank you all so much for listening. Let's, let's say a prayer. Let's say a prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for each day. We give you thanks for uh, these lives that you have given. Uh, give us your spirit that we would fight to defend uh, all humans, wherever and however we may found them, uh, find them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much to everyone. Thanks, Evan. Thank you. All right.